0: I'm Athena Silver, I'm Anya River, and we are the Rebel Crow. Athena is a professional psychic medium and tarot reader, among other things. Anya is a tarot reader and an astrologer, among other things. We are so excited to invite you to check out our weekly podcast, where we have fun talking about magic, tarot, mythology, astrology, and everything witchy. Find us on YouTube and on all major podcasting platforms at the Rebel Crow Psychic Show. Um, we put out a podcast episode weekly. Um, you can find more information at rebelcrowpsychicshow.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Rebel Crow Psychic Show with your host, Athena Silver. Tonight, we have an awesome guest. A great author who has written a really awesome book all about the fantastic 50s and the precursor to the psychedelic 60s. It is definitely and not an interview you're going to want to miss, so stick with us. Started, I want to introduce you all to Thomas Hatzis, who wrote LSD the Wonder Child, all about the years of study and research leading up to what we all know as psychedelic 60s. We're so happy to have you on the show today, Tom. Welcome.
1: Thanks. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Absolutely. I had to. After reading this book, I would... Seeing it, I'm like, I, I got to talk to him. I got to learn more about the psychedelic revolution that we all never heard about. Yeah. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about yourself so we kind of get an area of expertise and why you wrote this book?
1: Oh, sure. Um, this book was actually based off of my graduate thesis. Um, I finished it. Uh, so this is going back to 2000, oh, 2008. And um, I, so I finished the thesis and um, my thesis advisor was like, hey, no one ever wrote a book that focuses just on the 50s. You should probably do that. And I said, OK. And then I wrote four other books instead. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I should write that one that my professor had told me to write like 15 years ago or, or almost 15 years ago. So I did. I just finished it up um, the uh, the last chapter is actually my undergraduate thesis but obviously expanded so both my my undergraduate work and my graduate work are present in that book
0: I absolutely loved it because I have heard bits and pieces about the fantastic fifties so but to get like a complete copy of like how this story all began and to have it filled in the way that you did. It was, it was awesome. Parts of the, parts of this book, like I'd never even known about, but other parts that I'm familiar with, with a lot of us are like MKUltra and the work with Maria Sabina and all the other, you know, Albert Hoffman and all the other big names that are in there. So it was really cool to see uh, and read about the people that none of us ever heard of.
1: Yeah, yeah, and some that we I think sometimes have heard of, but don't necessarily recognize their contributions to the field. Um, one of, that's one of the things I, I I'm I'm glad you picked up on that because that was one of the things I was trying to do was shine a light on some of the overlooked people uh, in psychedelia. Um, when you read uh, most books that deal with psychedelia in the mid 20th century, firstly, they usually deal with the 1960s, as I'm sure mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and the ones that do deal with the 1950s pretty much ex- uh, focus exclusively on just the, the more popular names that are all just men. Albert Hoffman, yeah. um, uh, uh Humphrey Osmond. Aldous Huxley. But the truth is, there were so many women that were far more influential. And what I argue in the book is that Maria Huxley was actually more influential in psychedelia than Aldous was. He got the credit for writing The Doors of Perception, but the ideas contained within The Doors of Perception were all Maria Huxley's ideas, not Aldous' ideas. And it's
0: funny funny you say that, because you get that vibe when you read Doors of Perception, that there's a female essence here that's not really being acknowledged.
1: Well, he does, he does, I mean, it's subtle, but he does... Say, I mean, it's easy, I would agree with you. It's easy to read right past that in the doors of perception. But when you're when you you know, when you're reading it very carefully, like, wait a minute, he is literally <laughs> t- saying right here that all of this was Maria's idea. Like all of this. Like he and Humphrey Osman were uh, Talking about mescaline in a medical model, and which was standard in the mid 1950s. And Maria Huxley was like, "No, what what about the clear light of the Tibetan Buddhists? What about the mystical nature of this?" And then it was all this: "Oh yeah, fuck! Look at that, the mystical." Oh, I I just said it. (laughs) You're good. (laughs) But but, but, you know what I'm saying? It's it's like in the first time I read that uh, 20 so years ago when I, you know, in the early aughts when I read my when when I read what I wrote my undergrad thesis, you know, that was one of those things that I my eyes just kind of glossed over and then when I was rereading it for to write wonder child I was like oh wow this is all Maria Huxley like that was all her and um Maria Sabina as well that's why I wrote the chapter um where the most books deal with the meeting of Maria Sabina and Robert Gordon Wasson from his perspective Yes, I wrote it through her perspective because I I
0: appreciated that I definitely did because uh, again, a story a lot of us are familiar with, but people don't really understand what happened after Wasson came and what yes. happened and, mm-hmm. and how her life was destroyed and uprooted. And that yep. the little saints, the mushrooms that she worked with no longer helped her the way that they had previously. It was it was heart touching, you know, as someone who understands medicine from the practitioner standpoint, it like my heart really went out to her. Because again, you're correct. We see it from Austin's eyes. We don't see it from her eyes. So it was that was really just it touched my heart to read about the rest of her story.
1: Yeah, and uh, I mean, it was it it was heartbreaking uh, a yeah. lot of it. Um, you know, to find out about that and how you know this was just um, the these these uh, medicines were taken from her and weaponized. Uh, Or at least attempted to be weaponized by the CIA. And I mean, she didn't know Maria Sabina didn't know anything about that. But I'm sure if she would have have been like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, how are you turning this medicine into a weapon? Well, thankfully, they couldn't because these are medicines, not weapons. And that's one of the lessons of the fifties is that, you know, as a Stanislav Gruff calls uh, LSD, the non-specific amplifier, and that is true. But one of the things we did learn from the fifties is that using it to try to amplify some kind of weapon doesn't really work. It just.
0: And I think it brings back the point of how sacred these things are. Oh, you know, they, they're so sacred that they've protected themselves from us, you know, and our misuse as humans and us fiddling around in everybody's brains, trying to find the unlocked, you know, doors. But it's, it's really, it's interesting that, that people were even trying to weaponize it. It really shows the darker edge of human existence and humankind, bringing us into MKUltra. And now if I wasn't like a little anti-government before, I definitely am now. <laughs> just no. hearing about just in depth how far reaching MK MKUltra was. Like first, you know, people who are into this type of thing, we all know about what happened with like the Unabomber and, you know, how his life kicked off from that study. But it's interesting to see just how covert and how willing they were to test on just regular people just really just got me a hell no. Like, Oh, thank God. I didn't have to go through that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, really abusing people. I mean, not even just like that. You had some, some tests, uh, uh, like some of the the scientists and doctors conducting tests were doing it ethically and I don't want to okay. make it sound like it was all you know bad because some of them were, but others clearly were not. And it's, you know, when you read about those abuses, it's like how, and I've, I've brought this up with some people and they'll say, well, you know, you know, the medical ethics weren't as developed. Yes, they were yet yeah, in the night, the 1950s was not the dark ages. They had high no. standards <laughs> of medical ethics. Like the APA had a whole list of medical, the Nuremberg code had been drafted. I mean, so, much, so many of these things were, were, um, Uh, were legislated against because it's what the nazis were doing i mean that's the whole thing is like we we set these laws up against the nazis and then said to the nazi nazi doctors oh come do that shit for us instead yeah i know we we that was all just kind of a, a a show over there we want you to come here and actually try this stuff out on people or teach us you know how to uh you know how to work with this stuff and i can understand that in times of war of course you do want to protect your interests as best you can, but not, you know, you cross a line when you yeah. are abusing people, you know, you cross a line, you know, use a modern, when there's, I understand, you know, we, we have to, I, I don't know, that just, you, you're crossing a line.
0: Absolutely. It's like, talk about the patient bill of rights right there. <laughs> Why yeah. we have it. Yeah. Um, I mean, they,
1: they tested on children as well. I mean, it's like, this is not that there's, you know, uh, I don't mean to make it sound like because they also tested on someone that was 50 that somehow her life was worth less than a child. But just that, you know,
0: they curtailed, they curtailed the line of ethics a little bit too fine right there. You know,
1: yeah, cartels. It. yeah, it's, you
0: know, they walk that fine line between like this is horrifying and this is all right,
1: <laughs> yeah. And some of them didn't have any problem with it, and that's the scary thing.
0: Oh, you know, so no.
1: doctors later on, when they looked back and they had the trials in 1975 and 77, some of these guys look like, wow, shit. yeah, you're right, like we just the cold war, we, we it got away with us, the red scare, we messed up, like, holy shit, we messed up. Other guys were just like, yeah, you know, you know, you want to make an omelet. And it's like, whoa, come on. Like, you left people permanently crippled making Absolutely. Omelet.
0: But as a Puerto Rican woman who knows history, I already know that they were doing the same kind of stuff on the island for other reasons. So, not surprised there. No. But... No. It's just it shows why it's so important for informed consent, because I don't know if these people were properly informed, the ones that were able to consent.
1: Some of them were not. Some of them were. And others others were bribed like there was. And then, yeah, so some some people did consent. Some absolutely did not. And then there's this fuzzy area in the middle where in. Uh, you'll remember from the book in Lexington, Kentucky, the uh, the narco center. Wow. They were trading hard drugs for participation in LSD and psilocybin studies, and then they were writing up in their reports, "Oh no, none of these patients had had any narcotics, any heroin, for at least three months." It's like that's a you just gave it to them a day right. ago for <laughs> them to participate. So it's like here, it's like well, they did consent but they were bribed. And it's like, it was like you're, you're bribing recovering addicts with the drug, the, their problem drug, and calling it consent. It's like, I don't think that that's consent necessarily.
0: Absolutely. And as a scientist, wouldn't you be worried about the efficacy of your study? Right. If there's unknown substances in the works?
1: You know, yeah, who you knows?
0: Know. Whatever you gave them, you know, could have interacted with, you know, The dilicid, and and it could have just created a bigger problem or psychosis. You know, they weren't, I don't think they were really being honest about the experiment with themselves, at least.
1: They were, you know, I should have, that's a great point. I should have spoken to you before I wrote the book, because that's a great (laughs) point. No, I didn't even think of that, Athena, that it's like... You you can hit me up
0: for your next book.
1: Okay, I absolutely (laughs) will, now definitely, Um, with that kind of... No, but it's true, like, you're absolutely right about that. Like, it's, I don't know, that that whole thing was just such a mess, and, um, you know, they didn't really... So far as I could tell, like, nobody really ever went down for it. I mean, there was, yeah. a, you know, they had the Senate subcommittee hearings, but those are practically useless. I mean.
0: Everybody uh, plays well, the fifth.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With the uh, the MKUltra stuff, I mean, some people did come forward, but other people, I mean, they, their lips were sealed. There's
0: so, so many people that went right under the radar. And oh, yeah. to me, what bothered me the most reading that part was that they deem these people undesirables. They deem yes. them as less worthy yes. of the, the society's love and attention and, and healing. They just broke them off. When, a, when you get down to talking to these people, a lot of their issues were poverty, not having enough nutrition growing up, having Mama. broken homes, all he things that did. could have been fixed.
1: Yeah. And these, these are all the, something else that we have to keep in mind. Like this was right after World War II. We're talking about a whole lot of guys that just came back from Europe completely traumatized by the experience now being secretly lured into an apartment, secretly dosed with LSD to record their... You know, it's just like, this is unbelievable that they didn't... to mention
0: the ones that came back with raging habits.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's it's really, it's scary. So let's go into a less... uh. Horrifying and depressing question. Sure,
1: absolutely.
0: <laughs> All right. So, which one of these scientists from your book would you have dinner with if you could and why?
1: Maria Sabina. I, I would love to sit down and just have Same. a chat with her about <laughs> anything, uh, you know, and I would just sit there like this, listening. Like, I wouldn't Me even I would keep my mouth shut the whole time. I just feel like, like that. I feel know. that
0: way about Hunter. Hundreds- hunter s thompson i'd be like tell me more about your crazy adventures
1: yeah right <laughs> yeah and pass the bottle you know
0: oh for real right i don't know if i'd want to take whatever's in that bottle
1: <laughs> uh, i so if it were anybody else other than hunter S. Uh, I wouldn't but because it's him I'd be like, well, it's not gonna kill me. I mean, no. worse, I end up in Vegas with a gun to my head and you know, like
0: or the bats, know, the bats.
1: Yeah, you know, the bats. <laughs> or I wake up in bat country somewhere, but
0: yeah. You know, <laughs> oh, I love that. That's a I love it. All right, so let's get to another fun question. Let's talk about Aldous Huxley and the doors of perception. Sure. Um, not about him specifically, but you brought up. About Robert Z- uh, Zayner, is that how it's saying? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Robert Zayner,
0: and uh, how he disagreed with Elvis Huxley and his assessment of the psychedelic experience and the way it was written in Doors of Perception. I absolutely loved that part of the book uh, because when you read Doors of Perception, you're reading it going like, "All right, this is out there," you know, and for a lot of people at the time. They were not familiar with mescaline, so to hear like a scholar, someone who has studied um, ancient religions and mysticism, to do it and to read doors of perception and, and kind of snap back at it, you know, it it, it was interesting.
1: I, I agree. Um, most uh, Robert Charles Zayner is another one of those people that's kind of glossed over in psychedelic history, and. Um, to read most books on psychedelic history, especially the ones that focus on the '60s, you would think that just everybody was in love with *The Doors of Perception*. Like yeah. that, it was just like. And don't get me wrong; I mean, it flew out of the bookstores. I mean, people did digest it, but there was a huge backlash against it. And um, with Zayner, I mean his his critiques again are a little. Um, I'm not saying that he doesn't have a right to have his, his perspectives. Of course. I just think that like his main problem with all this Huxley was that uh, Zayner was a Christian and Huxley was talking more about a Gnostic kind of God, you know, and for Zayner, it was like, well, you're not talking about my God. So again, a kind of bigoted, like, well, who said that your God is the right one. Right. I mean, there's, you know, they've been, Gods and goddesses and whatever you know all throughout history. How do you know yours is the right one? So there was that, and also his um, his insistence that only you know primitive, undeveloped peoples would find use for these plants and fungi. Again, it just it's that kind of uh, old school bigotry that it's like yeah, you know, colonialist,
0: yeah, mindset. very colonial, yeah. very
1: supremacist. I mean, very supremacist. Um, you know, he's very. Um, uh, um, clear that, well, you know, white people's religion is more civilized, so we don't need this stuff. And it's like, eh, first of all, that's so not true. Second of all, there are plenty of white people who have found um, divine awakening with these plants and fungi. Yeah,
0: um, just
1: think amanita Muscaria in the Norse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> amanita Muscaria, uh, lots of henbane, mandrake, cannabis. I mean, with the ancient Hebrews and cannibals mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, and it's right there. It's like, okay, so I would say to Zaner, well, so you're a Christian that grew out of Judaism. We know now, we know through archaeological discoveries that the ancient Hebrews were using cannabis. I mean, we yeah. found uh, the Temple of Arad, which is just south of Jerusalem, uh, uh, archaeochemistry. I mean, the, the, uh, the archaeochemists, they scraped the, uh, the incense burners and they found the, the resin from cannabis and frankincense. We also know that cannibalism in the Old Testament was cannabis, so it's like so. Uh, we know that the uh, the early Christians were using mandrake and using opium as well. I mean, they write openly about this. There was a oh, big yeah man named Theodoret in the fifth century, a Syrian bishop who wrote how he used to love taking opium and then you know getting into this isolated headspace to contemplate the bu- the Bible. So Christians were into this stuff. So uh, absolutely. Zay- they-
0: they just killed off those particular sex at a certain point in time. They were like, enough with you free love and happy hippies. <laughs> we got to bring you guys into the fold. <laughs> uh,
1: in some cases, that's exactly what they did, uh, especially with um, with Wise Women. I wrote uh, the book, The Witches Omen, pretty much about how that all took place.
0: Excellent. Uh, another great book. I loved it. Um, oh. I just, for me, his point about, you know, the primitive people, the whole time I was reading that, I was thinking, yeah, I wish he was around now because it's the primitive people's medicine that we're all flocking to yeah, for answers.
1: E- exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And so he's another one of going back to your, who would I want to sit down with and have dinner with? I would love to sit down like Charles, 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 we <laughs> need to talk. <laughs>
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, we really need to correct a few things. You got (laughs)
0: to shut yourself down now.
1: (laughs) We need to put on our listening ears (laughs) so I can just.
0: (laughs) All right, so um, my next question is uh, what lesson should us contemporary people take away from all the events and experiments that went on during the fantastic 50s, you know, as we rediscover the medicinal applications of LSD and all these other psychoactive agents?
1: Sure. Uh, I would say mostly that they're not magic bullets, which was the, the sort of paradigm of the 1960s, was that, oh, you know, if you just, you know, whatever's bothering you, just take some LSD and you'll be fine. Um, the lesson of the 1950s was that that's not true at all and that um, you have to do the work. And there were several, um, it came up several times in the literature, the medical literature, where um, one of the patients who took LSD would say something, and I'm paraphrasing here, like, yeah, this kind of showed me the possibility, it, but what it really showed me is that it's up to me to make the change and that only I can you know, do this. And I think that that was the most important lesson of the 50s also integration we talk about integration today as if this is a new thing but during the 1950s they were all about integration i mean they were talking about integration back in 1952 and it was just during the 1960s there was no real integration and so we kind of collectively forgot about that and then today we're like oh yeah that integration stuff we should adopt it it's like yeah they knew that in the 1950s like most of the things that we're saying today like oh wow we should or shouldn't do that they already figured it out in the 50s so and the
0: thing for me is that it's like if they were to go to find the source of where these you know plants come from the indigenous people they knew set setting and integration it was all wrapped up in the ritual it's just mm-hmm. at the time it seemed like bigotry kind of got in between that cultural transfer they took the chemical, the agent, the plant, and they synthesize it, but they forgot to synthesize the ritual aspect of it. And it just, it shined through so greatly. It's like, you guys are missing the point. You know, the chemical is just a chemical, but it's what you do with it, you know, and how you open up your soul that really makes the difference.
1: Yeah. And there were some people doing that, like Humphrey Osmond. Uh, He got right in the middle of the dispute uh between uh the red fan tribe up in canada and Mm -hmm. the government saying that they shouldn't be allowed to use peyote so he went out and participated in a peyote ceremony to just say look like this is not what you're saying it is this is not alcohol it's not a drug so you know you you had the rc zaners of course but you also did have the uh albert uh, excuse me the uh Uh, Humphrey Osmonds and Albert Hoffman, for that matter, and Aldous Huxley and Maria Huxley were all saying, no, 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 you got it like, uh, especially as I said at the beginning of this talk, Maria Huxley, like we owe her so much. She was, from what I can tell, like the first person, at least in the 1950s to really try to reopen that paradigm and it's a paradigm we've had in the west for centuries it just you know history is weird things come and go things get lost sometimes you know and and you know you forget a technology and then you discover it again it happens
0: that's why i think this generation that this time that we find ourselves in is so interesting because i feel like we're getting the the convex between all of this we've got all this history behind us, it's starting to loop back, but I feel like we're, as a, as a society, more open and more ready to kind of see the nuances in between and bring and collect all this information together and give it another try. Yeah,
1: you know? I hope so. Yeah, it seems to be going that way. I mean, we decriminalized everything, all substances, In I'm in uh, Oregon, and in, in Portland, we just legalized uh, psilocybin for therapy and over in dc i think they just i don't remember what i think it was a decrim i think it was they just scored a i think
0: it, i think it's decriminalized yeah, yeah. and I'm
1: michigan over, as well and i'm so. over
0: in new york and we're finally you know approaching the topic of recreational and i'm just sitting there on the sidelines going yeah but this could go so many ways it could go really well like in california and colorado or it could be really bad like in like rhode island and massachusetts where it's like locked down heavily restricted and but nobody thinks about the patients and the patients needs
1: yeah yeah i I, i'm from new york originally so i uh uh, franklin square do you know that in nassau county
0: okay i'm familiar with nassau i'm up in poughkeepsie
1: oh cool cool so i'm
0: like way out there
1: (laughs) yeah I, i had friends of mine that were telling me about how cannabis like they were something going on there like people are getting a little you know sick of the whole thing like and I mean it's just that going after people for smoking cannabis is the biggest waste of resources and money like imaginable like it's ridiculous and most of from what I understand it's uh at least in the NYPD and I don't know this is just what a buddy of mine said so please don't take it as gospel but I could I could see it he said the the they don't want to deal with it it's like New York City. We have real fucking problems, and some kid smoking a joint is not one of them.
0: Absolutely! Oh and my god, for real!
1: <laughs> I was um, my partner and I had just visited New York in August, and uh, we went to see my brother and his wife over in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And we're walking. I used
0: through- live in Bay Ridge. Oh,
1: awesome! Yeah, yeah. We're walking to his apartment, and there were these three kids sitting on a bench smoking a joint, and I was like, "Yes." And. <laughs> And my partner was like, what's up? And I was like, we used to have to hide. Like, we were like, 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 like I'm like, these kids, yeah, I'm like, (laughs) this is, it's like two o'clock in the afternoon. They're just sitting right on a bench. And it's like, they're not going to get arrested. They're not going to have their lives ruined. I was so psyched for these kids. I was like, like, this is what we were all talking about. This is what we've all been fighting for for the past 20 years. It's so that these kids could just sit down, smoke a fucking joint, and not worry that their lives yeah. are going to be ruined. Because I'm sure all three of them are good kids. I don't know them, but my guess is they're just three good kids. That, you know, they go to school. They do their chores. They do their homework. Let them smoke a fucking joint. Who cares? And chill,
0: right? No, I, I feel you. I'm the same gripes. <laughs> My thing, though, and what I'm passionate about here is bringing spirituality back to cannabis use because it got lost in the shuffle over this past couple of decades. I would even say it past 200 years. Um, We've gotten so far removed from who we are supposed to be and who we should be as spiritual beings that it's like people don't realize that cannabis is a very important, you know, key to unlock a really interesting door, you know.
1: Yeah, they, they, uh, as we call, they say, it's a gateway drug. Yeah, gateway to love and understanding and compassion. <laughs> like right? that, that's a gateway. But they
0: criminalize they criminalize consciousness.
1: You know, yeah.
0: they they take it away from us, like we can't handle it, and demonize those of us that seek it. Sure, but,
1: but here's the thing. Let's say that I can't handle it. That's not up to you, government, to decide that. Let's say I can. And I can, by the way, but let's say I couldn't. That's not your choice to make. It is my choice to make because this is my body, not yours.
0: We all have the right to have terrible trips.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the good news, uh, it's funny because Alan Watts, uh, the the great uh, metaphysical philosopher Alan Watts, after the first time he took LSD, he said, yeah, that's cool. Cannabis is a way better spiritual tool, though. So this oh, is Advertine right. LSD. And uh, a colleague of mine, Chris Bennett, uh, has a book coming out April, uh, April 2022. I believe April 2022 called uh, Cannabis Lost Sacrament of the Ancient World. And just like he dug up all these references. He had a cannabis uh, as, use as a sacrament. I'm right on board with you, Athena. On oh, cannabis.
0: I want to talk to him.
1: <laughs> oh sure. yeah oh he's, he's a riot.
0: Definitely my kind of book. Yeah, um, he's
1: a riot. He writes like four of the books. This
0: whole, this whole book though just really it bridged so many broken pieces of the story back together and it was just it was kind of healing to, to hear the whole story and why it got scheduled, you know and it's like that list how it's being weaponized um, against us. It just, it, it really got me on a soul level, you know, and my inner activist is like, hell no.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why, like, I have—I still to this day, it's like, I, I don't trust the FDA. And people, why, you know, I'm like, you, you want me to trust the same idiots that put cannabis and mushrooms as a schedule one drug? You think that I'm going to trust that judgment? I mean, really? No. Oh, I don't, for
0: real. I don't at all. But thank you for coming on and having this really awesome discussion about, um, Your book, again, that's LSD, The Wonder Child. Um, It's going to be available. Is it available now or is it
1: out soon? It's available now, and uh, the audiobook got pushed back um, (laughs) until, I think it's October 19th, but it was supposed to be out like a month ago, and I don't know what's going on. It's not on me. It's on the publisher, but yeah, October 19th, the audiobook comes out it's read by me um
0: thank you again for coming on i really appreciate it this has been an amazing conversation whenever you have another book coming out please hit hit me up and let me know i would love to have you on whenever you want to come on you let me know
1: (laughs) sure sure and i i really want to get you on our podcast to talk about your experiences like yeah like big time
0: Absolutely. I, I, this is my life. I love to talk about it. I'm an open book. You can ask me whatever.
1: <laughs> well, that that that's it. You just checked all the boxes right there. Sounds good. Cool. Well, for everyone,
0: I am Athena Silver, your host. I'm a professional psychic medium, a minister, and a witch. For anyone who is looking to have a reading with me or to have one of my services, my website is readingswithathenasilver.com. My Instagram is at athena.silver and my TikTok is at athena underscore silver. And we will catch you guys not next week, but the week after that on YouTube and on all podcasting apps. Have a good night, everyone.